my really good friend, Eric Elliott, he's a rap artist from Flappers Zombies and his manager also manages Macklemore. And we kind of built a relationship together, him and his manager, and he wanted to help me out. And it's literally just asking, you know, like not being afraid of hearing no and just kind of going for it. There's a few other agencies that I've become a vendor with in the States as well, like the Martin Agency and Crispin Porter and another music house I just remembered is We Are Walker. They do a lot of stuff with Wyden Kennedy. Yeah, really just being on the hustle of cold calling. <laughs> Welcome to Wave Social Podcast powered by Arcade Studios. My name's Mike. I'm here with my co-host Mitzi, and we've curated a show for digital marketers, advertisers, and modern entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide, start making waves online. Each episode, we'll sit down with the tastemakers and strategic minds behind some of the most engaged communities and up-and-coming brands. We'll pull back the curtain on their strategies and experiences to uncover the methodology behind their seismic impact. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Okay, so we're excited for today's episode. We've got Ian Jolin Rasmussen, aka Jolin Rass. He is many things, but... Among those, a producer, a DJ, a sound designer, and he's a composer. And he's not just an artist, but he also works with brands producing sound or music for content, whether it's social media or short films or things like that. He's also a father and a husband. He has a two-year-old daughter, and it was really sweet. He talked about how he balances work and family life, which is really relevant for us because we also do that. And the guy gets up at 4.30 a.m. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah. To work out. <laughs> That's the last thing I'm waking up for. I know. <laughs> I yeah, gonna... I can't imagine getting up at 4.30 a.m. every day, especially because he doesn't even go to bed early. The guy I stays know. up to like midnight. But If I were to wake up at 4.30 a.m., I'd have to go to bed at like 8 p.m. Seriously, <laughs> you usually want to go to bed at 8 p.m. And yeah, then I still don't want to do. get up at 4.30 a.m., but parent life. I want to go to bed at 8 p.m. until I'm in bed. <laughs> Yeah. For all, for all you single people out there, as soon as you get married, your wife is tired when she's on the couch. But as soon as you get to bed, she's a chatterbox. <laughs> Rubbed up. Stuff for a different episode. One thing I really appreciated about our interview with Ian was that he talked about how important sound design is to marketing and videos. In our line of work, a lot of our work is very visual and I don't really think about the audio involved. And it's something you don't really think about until it's done poorly. And Ian is such a great example of excellent sound design and composing. And it really kind of got me thinking about how to integrate that into our client work and how important that is. So if there's marketers out there who are involved in producing content or video content, I think this is a great episode for you to think about and to listen to. I think this is really good content or dialogue for just creatives in general, because I think a lot of people go off on their own or try to make their art, their craft or their career because they're after income or even fame. But what I love about Ian is he's in it because he's passionate about it. And I think mm -hmm. that's really the thing that keeps you going when it's hard or when you kind of go through slumps or whatever. But the money's not going to get you through, you know, the enjoyment of it and the sanctity for it is the stuff that is really important. And Ian shows that. Yeah. And the guy worked with Diddy. That Dang. is legit. <laughs> he worked for Diddy's Indirectly. team, Ciroc. Diddy got... said it was too jazzy in all caps. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I mean, that just speaks to the caliber of work that he's capable of to have his work on some of music's biggest stars brands. Like you really do have to be performing at a different level to get there. So pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. It was cool to hear about the people he's following and inspired by. Uh, I think especially in the early days, Madbury Club was a big part of that. And that was nostalgic for me because I followed Madbury Club from when I was younger, like in high school and even starting my business. You know, they were an inspo of mine, but I didn't have any connection to them. So to hear that he was kind of on the inside track and got to do work with them in the early days, that's really cool. Yeah. And he connected with them pre-social media. Like he'll go into detail about how he did that, but it's amazing that he connected with such big players and it was before social media existed. He just did the hard work of figuring out who he needed to talk to and getting in touch with them. I'm just trying to remember what life was like before social media. It was a lot quieter. The days of AOL. I had no good photos of myself. America Online. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Cool. We had MSN. That was America. Right. Yes. MSN was where it was at. Yeah, you you had game if you were collecting MSN usernames. Is that oh. what they were called, usernames? I don't know. <laughs> Handles? That was pretty I feel handle. like a lot of drama happened on MSN. True. Nothing good happened on MSN after school. It was all gossip and drama that you had to deal with the next morning in school. I broke up with my first girlfriend, and then the way I knew that she was really bummed out was she changed her MSN profile picture. Oh, wow. So, PSA. <laughs> We were broken up. <laughs> All right. So obviously we got lots to look forward to. So we're going to bring Ian in now and it's going to be fun. All right, Ian, we're excited to have you on the Wave Social podcast, joining us all the way from Vancouver. Thanks for doing that. I know you're busy right now, but uh, we're excited to kind of dive into what you've been up to and the work that you do and... I just want to do a quick brag too, because we uh, we actually hired Ian to compose our intro for our episodes. Yeah, and, and it's uh, exactly what we wanted. We gave him all this crazy inspo. We're like, hopefully he can put something together with that. It was all our favorite rap songs and he came up with something that was so perfect. So we're really happy with it. Yeah. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to create that for you guys. It's always yeah. nice. So fun. So can you just start off by letting our listeners know who you are? Tell us a little bit about your family, what you're up to right now in Vancouver, and then we'll we'll get into it. Yeah. So my name is Ian Jolin Rasmussen. A lot of people know me as Jolin Rass, especially in Vancouver, just because I was a DJ for many years. I still DJ, but then last several years, I've seriously transitioned into being a composer and sound designer under Joel and Rass Music. Yeah, you know, I'm husband, father of a two and a half year old daughter. And it's good. Like, you know, it's 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 a balance just every day, just trying to learn how to balance work and family and, mm -hmm. you know, myself and, you know, just finding like the proper mindset. So Yeah, it definitely is a juggling act. I feel like for me as a new dad, I've got a 10 month old. It's been cool to watch you because you're a couple years ahead and uh, your daughter's a little older and I feel like we're kind of in a similar space, even just balancing work and family and managing priorities. But yeah, uh, you've, you've definitely been inspo in that sense. I mean, I'm glad. It's like I always try to find inspiration as well, but you know, there's no like manual or 
like you can read so many books and you can listen to so many stories, but like your own raising experience of a child is like completely different. Mm-hmm. It's the same, but it's like everything's different every single day. Yeah, man. And then uh, your wife, Katie, what does she do? She's a uh, stay-at-home mother. Awesome. Yeah. It's just something that we that we decided together. I grew up in like being in daycare system and stuff. I just didn't, I didn't really like it too much. That's just based on my like whole background with my parents like being split and whatnot. But uh, yeah, like we we're pretty fortunate to have that. And like her mom was a stay-at-home mother and she just remembered her being around all the time and just helping. And, you know, she really looked up to her and we also decided like, you know, once Ophelia's in, in school, there's also that next journey, whether like you could go into a career or not. Like I support her wholeheartedly in anything that she wants to do. I know in the back of her mind, there's so many different ideas that she wants to do. I don't really want to say them because I don't want her to like think that I'm sharing her ideas with the right. public, but there's yeah. like a lot of cool things that she, she really wants to do. And I'm like all for it because they're really positive and it's really community based. So when we find the time, I think we'll set those off. That's awesome, man. I'm curious just on the topic of even like balancing work and family. I always am sort of interested in what different freelancers or sole proprietors or entrepreneurs do or even like what their work life looks like. So can you unpack that a little bit for us? What does a normal work day look like for Jolyn Rass? Well, I either try to get up like 4.35 sometimes. It depends Whoa. like what time I get. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What time do you go to bed? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I try to get up, like I'll get up at six. Just depends if what time I go to bed the night before. But 4.35, I like to get like an hour, hour and a half like run and workout in combined. Dang, dude. And then come back home and eat. And then the thing is, is like, I like to get those workouts in early because Katie, she's on like a spin kick and just like, you know, the same thing as me. It's just a whole different exercise routine and her classes are early too. So we try to like do all that before Ophelia wakes up. Sometimes though, like her classes are later in the day. So I'll take over and watch Ophelia like on the monitor and then she'll wake up and then, you know, I watch her for how long, whenever Katie gets back. But for the most part, so I get up at five and then I either dive in into like work at seven or eight. And then, you know, I try to cut it short at like, you know, four, four or five o'clock. It depends like how much work I have during the day. Like if I have like a lot of deadlines, I'm not so involved in the house to be honest, like I, I want to, I try to help out as much as I can. For sure. The yeah. days that I don't have that many deadlines, I'm really lenient. And like, you know, I'll go to the store if Katie needs me to do groceries or if she needs me to clean the bathrooms or just like chores, not even chores, like it's things that you have to do throughout in the house. And so I try to find that balance. Like I said, when there's like not that many deadlines, I'm focused on being more in the house and present. And then if there is a lot, I'm more like in my, in my studio at home. And after I'm done work four or five, I'm there to like spend time with Ophelia and, and Katie. And, you know, sometimes we'll go drive to the park or go to the store together and, you know, eat dinner and 
Katie and I, we also like to um, spend time with each other. So there's a lot of the times where like we end up staying late because we didn't really like sleep train our daughter. So she kind of goes to sleep when she's tired. So that's either like 930 to 1030. She'll go to sleep. And then, you know, whether what time is left in the night, you know, Katie and I will like stay up and watch, you know, our binge watching episode of whatever's on Netflix or HBO. And we'll go to sleep. You don't even go to bed that early. Yeah. You're, uh, you're up till what? Then like 11 or so. And then you're up at like 4.30. 12. Dang. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> it's my life goal to wake up at 7 a.m. before our daughter. And I'll force myself to go to bed at 11. And I still struggle so hard. It's like, a battle. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how you do that. Yeah. Respect, man. I don't know. I think it's just like getting into that mindset. I don't know. I literally used to be a night owl. Like I would stay up yeah. till 4am, 5am, no problem, just making music. And then when I stopped DJing, it just changed and I wanted to get up early and I feel good. And I just like knowing that everyone's asleep and there's like this kind of peaceful energy in the air. It's kind of crazy because you kind of like have a clear mind, like nothing's going on. So it's a good time mm. to like think internally for the day and what's right. going on in your mind. Cool. Productivity wise, do you like, do you kind of set your priorities for the day first thing in the morning or do you that the day before? Or do you just kind of wing it? What yeah, does it look like? I for you? mean, it depends. Like sometimes I will prep it the day before because I'm like, okay, this is due this day, this is due that day. And then, all right, I'll have time to be able to help around the house if I need to. Or some days I'm like, okay, well, I'm just cold calling all day. I'll just be upstairs and hang out with the family or whatever, you know, and then I'll get an email saying there's something due in the afternoon. So being a freelancer, it's kind of tricky because you don't really have too much of a set schedule. And as much as I want to, I really try to be adamant about it. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Yeah. Okay. Cool, man. It's fun to get a little window into what that looks like. As far as the actual work that you do, obviously it's really centered around music. So we're just curious, man. Like when did you get into music? How did you know that it was a passion of yours? And like, where did this all start? Uh, it started at a really, really young age. I knew that I really was into music kind of year of my own. And as soon as I found out that I was able to pick an instrument in school, I was on it. My mom had a boyfriend who played sax. So I was really drawn to that at a really young age. You know, I remember just like blowing it and I wanted to play saxophone. I knew that for a few years and I was about eight or nine and I stuck to that thing when I'm like three years old. Yeah. And then, you know, my dad really had a passion with that all the way till I graduated. And 
how I got into making music was of being a listener. So there was a lot of different music being played throughout the house, like jazz. When I was about 15, 16, I really got into DJing and, and uh, I really wanted to get turntables and had made a deal with my parents that they would get them and that I would pay them back. There was also a class too, actually I just remembered in my school that offered music composition on like a, a MIDI keyboard, which was like very way back, you know, like early 2000s when there wasn't too much computer music happening, just Pro Tools and whatnot. And when I graduated, I stuck with DJing. I didn't really stick too much with playing my saxophone and I wanted to be a DJ. And that happened and... I did that for 10 plus years and I still continue to do that once a week and whenever like another DJ needs me to cover them. But in that time era, in like early 20s, I'm 30 years old, I'm not that old. I found <laughs> that, you know, I could kind of create music because I had a friend who brought over a, a drum sampler, shout out to DJ Wondercut. And I was obsessed as soon as I, I like found out that you could chop drums up and sample music because I didn't know you could do that. And as soon as I found that out, I bought the drum machine off of him and I just dived into it. I was about like 22 and I just literally spent every moment that I could possibly could on making music. I wouldn't even go outside. I just wanted to master it. I became obsessed. And at the time, a few years later, I got into breakdancing and I wanted to study music on that end and like learn, you know, how to really listen to music through dance. And I got injured. I tore my meniscus. Wow. And so I couldn't really do much, but stay inside and make a lot of music. And I invested in getting software and more equipment. And just that became another obsession in learning how to make music without sampling and fast forward a couple years after that, my friend, Phil, who started the Madbury Club, like we've been in contact for a long time in high school. You know how you've talked with, you know, people on social media. Well, we were, you know, on Hypebeast forums and that's how we stayed in contact. And he started the Madbury Club and he knew that I made music. And uh, that's kind of how I got my first gig in, in creating music for visuals. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Now I'm, now I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a solid synopsis of A to B for sure. I, like that's so it's cool. A long, it, yeah. It's a long journey. Like it's not like I picked up making music, you know, five years ago. It's like, I've been doing this for a long time and yeah, there's been a, so many ups and downs where it's like, I wanted to quit doing music. I wanted to sell all my equipment. <laughs> I wanted to sell my turntable. Like I just got sick of it. I didn't believe in myself and Something switched inside me when I when I really thought that I could do this. That's awesome. So you went all in. Yeah. Very cool. So at what point in this journey did you start working with brands? That was when I connected with Phil from Maverick Club. So for a while I was doing their playlisting, like mixes, whenever there was like a study session going on for finals or whatever. There was this thing called a uh, Ashburn study, I think. And I was making mixes for the Madbury Club or Phil personally, but then it was released through Madbury. Mm. And there was something that he needed for a couple Nike videos. He wanted me to recreate these two songs and I did. They never got used, 
But that's when I knew that I was able to do this. And so a lot of the work that I started doing at the beginning was through Madbury Club. You know, they worked with so many different brands. And for a while I was working with them. And then there's another videographer that I still work with. His name's Du Pinlack. And he's from Vancouver, but now he's out of Toronto. Amazing videographer and director. And the transition into doing brands, though, that happened directly through Madbury because I did something for ASICS and Raining Champ through Madbury Club. And when the guys at Raining Champ found out that I made music, that's when it kind of transitioned into actually working with the brands themselves and not the agency. So that, yeah, the ASICS Raining Champ project kind of snowballed a lot of things when connecting with brands out of Vancouver. That's really cool, man. So uh, for context, can you just give us a quick description of like what Madbury Club is? Obviously, we love it. Yeah. We, we followed it. They're, they're based in New York, right? Yes. They're based okay. in New York. Madbury Club started out of Phil's dorm room. And I think it was Rutgers. And it was just supposed to be like this collective of posting cool things on this like blog website type of thing, the Maverick mm-hmm. Club. But then it became a collective of friends coming together and making really cool stuff. So they're actually doing a lot of things, not officially with brands, just lookbooks for their own sake to showcase that they can do things. And then it basically became a full-fledged agency after they were doing a lot of these lookbooks on their own and videos on their own. It's like, who are these guys? And yeah, it was just a group of really creative dudes do amazing, amazing things. I've been inspired. Like I got inspired from them so much working with them and just knowing them. That's awesome. And you were, were you in Vancouver at the time? Yeah. It's funny, like the power of the internet, basically my connection, like I said, started off of Hypebeast forums and just connecting with Phil and staying connected with Phil. And, you know, I never really met those guys until really, really later my career in music. So a lot of the times it was phone calls or emailing. and That's so crazy. Yeah. So that was pre-social media, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. the original social media was just forums online. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool, man. So Madbury Club was kind of your bridge from just your passion for music into like working with brands and, and having more opportunities for that creative expression. Can you talk a little bit more even about how that evolved as you started working more directly with brands instead of through this agency? Yeah, it kind of developed because I was able to create more things and add them to my portfolio. So obviously, the more things you do, the bigger experience you get, and then you can add those things to your portfolio. So once I solidified a pretty decent portfolio, in my opinion, that's when I started really cold calling and learning the process of cold calling, you know, individuals and, you know, agencies, like literally just finding the right person to email through either LinkedIn or just really doing my research and finding what they've worked on and whatnot and, and personally emailing them. And then at first I got a lot of no's because I didn't know how to properly pitch an email. And then, you know, you learn and you don't directly ask for work. You want to build a proper relationship at first. And I kind of learned how to really love that process. Through the process, I became really good at finding the right person or 
you know, just finding the right agency that or brand that would work with my styles and, you know, my aesthetics and how I see things should be creatively and visually. And, you know, there's times where I'm literally, oh, they got a number. Okay. I'm going to call them up. Or I, uh, I would get a lot of like, who is this? Or (laughs) where are you calling from? Because a lot of the time I found out that I would be getting a lot of no's out of my own city and not to throw any shade or anything. It's just, that's just how it is. And I, I realized that a lot of my emails and my calls were being, they were working through New York and LA actually, which was great. And so I just started focusing on doing a lot more work with New York agencies because Madbury Club and through them, they helped me build my portfolio so much doing the work with them. And there's also another agency out of Vancouver that I, I work with a lot too, and they're called Victory. And they have offices throughout North America as well. And I, they do a lot of amazing things and that's helped me build my portfolio as well. And I'm able to call up certain agencies and they can you know, respect my work and the type of work that I've done and take me seriously, even though I'm not based in their own city, I'm based in Vancouver. A lot of the times people don't want to work with you because you're not in the same city. But in this day and age, it's like you literally can work with anyone anywhere. Totally. Yeah, for sure. So I'm I'm surprised about the cold calling thing. Yeah, like, me too. <laughs> yeah, especially working with recognizable groups or teams like Madbury Club or even Victory, which we're familiar with too. And even starting off kind of with like the big guys like Nike, Asics, totally. Reigning Champ, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. like Reigning Champ. I have a really good friend who works there and I know a lot of the guys who are in in the offices. So that kind of helped solidify something too, knowing that I create music and we were able to build a specific sound for that brand. And people got wind of like, oh, I'm working on this. So I would literally get emails through uh, other brands. Oh, we, we heard that you made this. Like, this would be great if you could work on this project. The real cold calling like really happened with like, Names such as like Vayner Media, that was a straight up cold call. I literally had to like pitch myself and able to, you know, get work with them. There's like a few music houses that I work with out of New York where they offer music services kind of like me, but they're more of like a bigger studio where like a really large agency would come to them to create demos. It's like a whole pitching process. It's like crazy. Like they got tons of different music houses that are creating different demos for this one spot. So it's like a competition in a sense. So I work as a freelancer through those music houses. And some of them were cold calls as well. And then one that I work really well with is Found Objects. And I got connected with them with this executive at Warner Music. And I got in contact with that executive through... My really good friend, Eric Elliott, his manager, he's a rap artist from Flatbush Zombies, and his manager also manages Macklemore. And we kind of built a relationship together, him and his manager, and he wanted to help me out. And It's literally just asking, you know, like not being afraid of hearing no and just kind of going for it. There's a few other agencies that I've become a vendor with in the States as well, like the Martin Agency and Crispin Porter and another music house I just remembered is We Are Walker. They do a lot of stuff with Wyden Kennedy. Yeah, really just being on the hustle of cold calling. <laughs> 
Totally. And, you know, I love that story because I think a lot of freelancers, when they're entering their markets, they feel like they're too big to cold call. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, like getting your foot in the door is, and you just do it any way you can. And there's research is so important. So I love that that was part of your process. And it sounds like it still is part of your process. Oh, yeah. Hands down. I think it comes down to like the back of the mentality. When I used to DJ, I would literally like, I didn't have a car. And there would be times where it's like they don't have turntables there. So I would literally take my turntables and my records on the bus for a non-paid gig because I wanted to do it so badly and I wanted to get the experience. So using that like mentality of knowing that, you know, you're not better than the next person. It's like, who are you? And, you know, you're trying to prove this to the person that's basically, you know, you're trying to work for and build a relationship with. So I do a lot of stuff for free at the beginning and it's kind of like paid off because I've built a relationship with those specific clients and they know the work that I do. And it's like, yeah, don't be afraid to do things for free. Yeah. Sometimes though, it's like, I don't know if I should be doing that for free. I kind of have to question it. And depending like what's it for, sometimes I have to turn it down. But a lot of the time it's like, for scope, you know, like just to prove that I can create what you want for like the future purposes of hiring me again. Awesome. Love that. I kind of want to bring it back to the meat and potatoes of what you do. So obviously you've worked with amazing brands like Nike. I was just looking at your website here at Ciroc, which is so gangster. Come on. Can you (laughs) give us a little like summary of why it's important or why original music and sound design is important for content when marketers are producing videos or planning their next campaign. Why is original music an important element of that? Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. I think it's really important and I know it's really important because it makes you stand out from, you know, the the music that's already out there. Like it's really easy to pull music from a music library. And yes, in a sense, I'm not taking away that, that it's original music, but having something actually created from scratch to match what you particularly want is so crucial because it's like you're creating something from thin air. And you're discussing what should go into it and what kind of vibe you want, the energy, should it sound like this, should it have this instrument? It's it's a really great breakdown because just like creating video, there's scenes and there's shots and there's angles that's discussed, location. Well, that's the same with going into music. And, you know, right now music is so disposable because of the music libraries, because of you can pay $200 a year and you get unlimited usage of these tracks. And that's great. I mean, it's so good. Uh, And I'm happy for the artists that are getting that opportunity. But at the same time, 
it's so much cooler to know that you were part of the process, not the composer, but even the creative person. I helped kind of create that, you know, and that's my brand and that's my sound. And I think even sound design too is important because there's a lot of times where I'm working on something and like the VO is so off or the Foley or whatever is completely off and they didn't get a right sound guy or I'm watching it and they didn't even like want to spend money in getting proper sound design. But it's the same as getting coloring or getting an editor. Having sound and music on par will just make your video that much better. Yeah, that makes sense. Would you say that brands are less motivated even these days to add original music or even sound design because of social media? Like maybe because people are consuming it without audio on or things like that? I don't even think that. I think it's because it's just an extra thing to pay for, right? Where you can just get a track for hundred bucks. There's some places where you can get a track for 20 bucks, but you pay for what you get in my opinion. And for myself, it's like, I really don't think I charge too much because I'm, I'm really flexible and I just want to be a part of creative things. And it's like, I don't really have that much overhead. You know, I don't, I don't run out a crazy studio. It's in my house. I mean, one day I would love to, and I don't have like 10 employees working under me. So there's a lot of agencies out there that will not do work for a certain cap. But for me, I work with Nike, right? But I'm willing to work with, you know, a brand or an agency that's doing something more local. And, you know, they don't have the means to spend out a budget, but they really want something cool. And I'm really fast at what I do too. Sometimes I really do take my time. But sometimes I work really fast depending on the idea. And I just, I also want to get that message out because it's like, I'm not trying to be a money grab. I want to do good work. And I also want to be, you know, in the people's ears as well. That's awesome. So I'm curious, even you mentioned you work pretty fast. Do you find that it's hard to rationalize or justify price because you're so quick? Like do brands ever say, well, hey, you did this in 24 hours. Why is this the price? Or... Do you have a good enough relationship so far that they're just down to pay whatever? Yeah, never I get asked in terms of turnaround because there's some times where like the deadline is in four hours. And um, <laughs> Dang. yeah, like I have a music library just throughout the years in my basement, in my apartment. When I was younger, I like literally would make music 15 hours a day. And so... This is when I was a single man. (laughs) And yeah, so there's some times where I have the opportunity to use those uh, tracks. But then there's times where like I have to literally crank out a track in an hour and then go over feedback and whatnot. And I've just figured out the formula. And so a lot of the time it's like, how long is the track uh, that's needed? Like the spot and where is it going? Is a lot of depending on the budget as well. But at the same time, I like to know where the client or whoever I'm working with, their head is at and what they want to spend out. You know, it's like I've built relationships where the honesty is really there. It's like, look, this is all we got. The budget's super low. Can you do that? And a lot of time I will say yes. And sometimes I might increase it. I don't really shy of that because... I'll back it with a certain reason. Well, this might actually take me a lot longer. Oh, you want sound design with that too? Or mixing? Okay, that might be a little bit. It's a lot of back and forth. Sometimes I'll come up with a number 
and explain why. Yeah, there hasn't been really thing anything set, but I realize not to charge by the hour. Yeah, if you're fast, then that's not the the way to make a living. That's for sure. That's cool though, man. Like the idea that you can turn something around in an hour or four hours Crazy. and it's like you're composing it. That's impressive. Before we get too far into like process and stuff, can we just, can you break down for us even the difference between composing music and then the other side of what you do, which is sound design? All right. So there's like a difference between composer, sound designer, and also there's a producer as well. So there's a lot of creatives who say that they're composers and there's a lot of creatives who say that they're producers. And when I first got into making music, I wanted to be a producer and that's working with artists and making songs. And being a composer is a lot different than that because you're making music for visual representation or even if there isn't a video there, you're just composing music that isn't really intended to have some sort of song structure involved, right? Like the basic pop song or rap song or whatever like that. So composing for me is creating music for visuals. And so a lot of the time, like I'm looking at the movement of someone in the video, are they clapping their hands? Maybe I might add a hand clap there or a lot of the time, you know, I work on a lot of Nike basketball things and the dunk, should I had an impact? Should I change the instrumentation on that? There's little small fine details in composing that can go a long way that you won't even realize that you're watching when you're in the video, but you'll be like, whoa, this really flows together because everything's hitting the right points. And then sound design, well, that's a bit different because sometimes I'm really creating sounds from scratch through my synthesizers or the software that I have on my computer and creating sound worlds for that are just drones, like just a basic tone that underlies the video. And then I'm constructing very contemporary sounds to match what's going on in the video. And then sometimes, you know, there needs to be a zipper pulled down or the water needs to be turned on in the sink, waterfalls, things like that, you know, that I add that I've pre-recorded in the past. And sometimes I use sounds through some services that I have online. But a lot of the time I like to create things from scratch and depending on the timeline. If I have a lot of time, then I'm definitely going to be recording my own things or just creating something from scratch. Yeah, it's completely different, but in the end, it basically intertwines with each other. A lot of the time I try to incorporate sound design with my compositions. Man, that's so cool. I feel like that's really educational for our listeners. And even when I first met you, you know, like I feel like you brought this to life for me because I didn't even realize it was a thing. And so much of our work is visual. Right. So I, I was always focused on the visuals whenever I was consuming content or whatever it may be. And But then I felt like after you kind of explained this to me before, then it all kind of started coming to life for me. Mm -hmm. Like I'd see a commercial and I'd be like, dang, like the splash of that person, like running through that puddle, you know, that was epic. You don't even think about that someone added that or that needed to be there. And then unless you don't hear it, then you notice it's not there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's such a underrated component of a video. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's crucial. Well, even the crazy thing, Next time you watch a film, probably like 90% of the sounds that you hear in there were not when they were recording on set. 
Like wow. it was all added either through Foley, sound design, or music composition. It's so crazy, especially like the, the cartoon, you know, animation videos. That's all sound design. When you're working with a brand, how do you get approvals on all that? Like from our perspective, a lot of our work is visual and a lot of those visual components have to be approved by the client or their client's team or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I guess this brings me to another question. Like you come from an artist background, you're an artist first. Mm-hmm. So what are the pros and cons from creating stuff for yourself that you think is awesome and you just want to enjoy yourself versus working for a brand or an agency where you have to get multiple sign-offs. There's people who are picking apart every single component that you're doing. Like what's the pros and cons there? Well, it's, I'm part of the creative process as a whole and I'm the one creating it. But in the end, the vision is not mine. Right. So it's very like a no ego mentality going in. I get a lot of creative freedom on a lot of my projects and I get asked, to come up with solutions too. And that's where I come in from my own creative background and how I see things and how I view things as well. But a lot of the time it's like, if I get criticism, this shouldn't be happening or let's scratch this. I don't have any problem because it's not my work really in the end. Right. So that's how that goes. (laughs) Nice, man. I think that's a good outlook on it for yeah. sure. Then you don't, you're not struggling so much with the artist's no. conundrum of like, man, this is all compromised and I'm not proud of it, <laughs> but you're actually just kind of the medium to convey the message. No. You know? And especially like working on film projects, like right now I'm working on a feature documentary on a pretty big artist. I'm not going to name the name yet. Oh, snap. We won't but, tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. So working with the director on that, it's great because At the same time too, I'm very creative in the process, but it's also his vision too. And this specific director really knows what he's looking for sound-wise. So I trust him and I don't really feel like anything's being compromised if he comes in with a note, you know, like we're very on the same, same level. And that, that's also something that you should look into when you're collaborating with someone is, are you guys on the same level? Like... There are times though where I've worked with someone and we are not on the same page and it's very difficult because they don't really know what they want and they're giving you feedback and you can't really take it. So it it makes it really easy though when the client or the agency who's on the project knows exactly what they want and they'll tell you to pull something out or whatever and I don't hesitate. That's great. So going back to your DJ days, and maybe there are some DJs or musicians out there that are listening to this, what kind of advice would you give them or how would you advise that they break into working with brands on the brand side? Like I would find like a video that's already made and pull that and then make music to that video for fun. And then, you know, if you feel really good about it, I would post it on your social media or use it in your portfolio. So what I used to do to kind of like get experience is I also have a film background. So I would make my own film projects for fun, whether it's like a stop motion thing or me doing filming something random and then create music to that. 
And I would post on my social media, even way back when there wasn't social media, I just did it for fun and it's on my computer. You know what I mean? I really would hone in and have that bedroom mentality of if you feel comfortable with sharing your process, that's great. For me, I definitely don't really like doing that. And I don't know if that's helped me or not, but I would definitely focus on being able to be good at creating music for visuals or just making a, a mix tape of your own music just for yourself. And then if you want to put it out, put it out. That would be awesome. But just making little side projects for yourself to do and like create deadlines as well. Man, I think you're such a good example to not just musicians out there, but even just like anyone in the freelance world, like the hustle it takes to actually get to the place you want to be as a creator from the cold calling side <laughs> to even just like being willing to do like make work projects for yourself to figure out if you're good at it or if you're passionate about it, or even if it's something you want to get into, you know, but mm -hmm. then also to, to prove yourself to brands or potential clients. That's cool. What's one of your favorite projects that you've uh, worked on? It could be lately or it could be in the vault from before, but mm -hmm. uh, one that you're proud of or makes your highlight reel. I really liked working on the Ciroc behind the scenes Project yeah, that for, was amazing. Uh, thanks for the French Montana flavor that came out, French vanilla. And that was through Madbury Club. That was really fun. It really pushed me creatively because I was making like a full track for each video and there was three different videos. And, you know, Diddy signs off on everything. So I was just going to ask yeah. you, did you get the chance to meet him, no, no. email him? I wish. What's his number? Not email him. But basically I would get these emails from my, from my friends at Madbury, like screenshot of, you know, in capitals too jazzy or needs this, you know, just one word answers. And it's like, what does that even mean? Right. And yeah, basically like get them to the Greek kind of thing. Wow. <laughs> There's a scratch, man. you know, head scratching. And it got to the point where they set up a call to speak to his personal sound engineer from Bad Boy. Anything that he would sign off of, basically Diddy would sign off of, right? So he kind of gave me the breakdown of what exactly Diddy would be looking for. And it was it was great because it, it really pushed me creatively because we did something so non-traditional. Basically a track would play for like 10 seconds and then it would switch completely like left field to this other track. And it would just be like this huge mashup of different sounds coming at you of like kind of like a mixtape in a sense. And I've never done something like that before. And it was, it turned out so cool. And yeah, that was really awesome. And another one that I remember doing was uh, a couple, actually, I'm going to name another two. NASA, Nike for Paul George. That was through Victory. That was really cool because NASA's never done a collaboration with a brand before. Yeah, that's wild. So they did it with Nike and Paul George released a shoe and actually a whole line. That was really fun because I also did voiceover on that and all the sound design and all the music composition. It was interesting because it just felt so natural to create the music for that. It, it was really easy to make, but also super rewarding because space is like a very like intimate thing for me. I love space and the unknown and whatnot like that. So to be able to be a part of that 
was very special to me. And the third thing was working on my first film. It was a short film for 10 minutes. And it was through the director, Sam Sneed. I forget. I hope I'm not mispronouncing his last name. From New York. And Joe Kenneth, who's a poet. And he put out this book called Days After Your Departure of poems for his his mother that passed away and just him going through, you know, the process of grieving and finding his individuality as a person and a black man. And it was a very special project. I really dived deep into that one. And it being my first film too was very special. So they actually submitted that to the American Black Film Festival for this HBO competition. And they were the top five finalists. They didn't win number one, but HBO for the top five finalists got to purchase them to be streamed on their HBO Go and Amazon Prime as well for two years, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. So do we have to have HBO or Amazon Prime to be able to see that? You have to be living in the States. I've literally tried everything to possibly watch it. Oh, man. I got to see it, though, on an actual theater. Sam, the director, and Joe, the actor in it, basically set up shop in this, uh, it was at Brooklyn, in the theater there. And so, we went, my wife and I went to New York to go watch the screening for it, which was pretty awesome. That's awesome. That's so cool, dude. Well, you'll have to let us know when it's available in Canada, if it is, because I'd love to check that out for sure. If you ever go to the States... Keep in mind to watch Days After Your Departure, HBO. All right. Go. I think once it's out of HBO's hands, I think they're going to post it because they'll have the rights. So, it'll be online at some point. (laughs) Okay. We'll We'll keep our eyes peeled for sure. Love it, man. I think those are some really cool projects. This is especially cool to know even outside of like the big few like Nike and stuff like that, what else you're working on and you're proud of. Can you tell us who you're inspired by? Obviously, you started off by chatting a little bit about Madbury Club. But who else are you watching or who do you draw inspiration from that like keeps you going artistically? Yeah. I'm so bad with names. There's so many people out there, just like even regular people who are doing, you know, good things for themselves, but also like the communities and spreading, you know, mental health and awareness. I'm a huge avid follower of Gary Vaynerchuk. The guy is on another level. David Goggins I got into recently. I've been trying to find someone to follow who kind of has like a similar backstory as mine and who keeps it real and coming across him just is so amazing. It's definitely, you know, gave me a lot of eye opening experiences uh, as of late. So I'm really into David Goggins recently. My friend Du Pinlack, I'm really inspired by that guy. He puts out amazing, amazing material. And he runs this thing with Jay Scale, who's a photographer from Toronto, really big photographer, and also a collective as well with other people called The uh, Kickback. And it's like basically a nonprofit where people donate shoes to them and then they they give back to the youth uh, brand new shoes or uh, slightly worn shoes like Nike's really cool shoes, you know, Jordans, whatever, of kids who've always dreamed of having something where they couldn't have it and then being able to be able to get it 
And I love this because there's been times where like when I was younger, where I had to wear a pair of shoes for a full year or a year and a half, and there was like nothing on the bottom of my shoe and I'd be slipping and sliding in the gymnasium, you know? And so that's something really special. All the guys at Street Dreams Magazine, friends with all those guys, and I do work with them as well. But prior to Street Dreams, I was friends with the guys who started it. And uh, they're all amazing creatives, photographers, designers. They do really cool things for the social community and allowing photographers and designers to have a voice where they normally wouldn't. You know, they have like a thousand followers on Instagram, say one photographer, and then they choose their photo to be published in their magazine that they get printed. And it's it's really cool because it gives them light for this like this amazing photographer who doesn't have that many followers and then they get published in this magazine. So it's really cool. Yeah. Love it, man. My next question was what what brands or freelancers or artists even that you think are making waves online right now. But I feel like you kind of just answered that question a little bit. Yeah. Would you add to that for that question or is that your answer? Yeah. And, you know, Phil, every guy, uh, Phil from the Madbury, uh, him and his wife do, or fiance do amazing, amazing stuff. They did just something for Apple, which was really cool. They went to the Biosphere Dome too, or something like that. And they, it's basically this huge compound that emulates the earth's weather. So there's like monsoons in there. They got the largest indoor water tank or coral reef, I guess. Honestly, I hope I'm like giving the right information, but it's such an amazing thing that they got to do was just showcase this biosphere dome and something out of a movie, basically. You know, every guy that's part of Madbury was a part of Madbury. Shout outs to them. They do amazing stuff. No Tricks is another agency that's kind of stemmed off of Madbury. It's Maddie and Chris Ablo, who's a part of it, who started that up. And they're doing amazing stuff. Tone Customs, he has uh, this rope, camera strap, rope, belt, slash bag custom company. Check him out. He He's a trip, man. Yeah, those guys are great. You got a good list. I feel like that just goes to show how important it is to follow people that are making a difference and like doing cool shit so that you can stay inspired. Yeah. I'm sure I'm missing people. It's just like seeing people who get up and do things every day is inspiring to me. Like literally my family members, like I'm married into a family now. Like I don't have any siblings, but like seeing my, you know, my sister-in-laws or my brother-in-law doing cool things or my mother-in-law doing something super cool. Like she just opened the first public library in Muscochise. I'm sure you guys know about that. Uh, if you live in Alberta, I don't know if you saw that, but it's huge. So just things like that is is really important for the community, I think. Totally. Yeah. What a legend. Last final question. Can you tell us where can l- listeners connect with you? Tell us your Instagram handle, your website. Yeah, they can connect with me. I have like my personal account on Instagram. It's Ian Jolin Rass at Ian Jolin Rass. And then I have my music side on Instagram. It's at Jolin Rass Music. Same with Twitter, Jolin Rass. My website, you can check out. It's jolinrass.info. And I kind of try to post regularly on the stuff that I can post. There's a lot of things that I cannot post, which sucks because of NDAs. Like I said, in the end, it's not my work, <laughs> but it's some really cool stuff. I just wish I could share it. <laughs> you just need a private account. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. I tell people word of mouth. 
I tell people nice. Or just get your wife to leak it or something like that. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> cool, man. Well, hey, stoked that we could have you on the show. And I'm sure our listeners are going to be following along as will we as uh, you keep pushing forward. We'll keep in touch for sure. But man, if there's any last comments, this is your time. Otherwise, have an awesome week and we'll we'll talk again soon. Yeah. I mean, appreciate you having me and letting me speak some knowledge. And to anyone who's listening, you know, just believe in yourself and be patient. You know, if things are not happening right now, just know at least you're being creative and, you know, don't fall short of not believing in yourself. You know, there's always something to do and kill it. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. What a great ending. Thank you so much, Ian. Yeah. Thanks. It was was great. This episode of Wave Social Podcast is powered by Arcade Studios. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at wavesocialpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you've got questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, hit us up at wavesocial on Instagram. Thanks for joining us.